Well, good morning again. And uh, today is a day when we kind of conclude this series that we've been in for a few weeks now where we've been trying to zero in on the story surrounding Jesus' birth and what it may teach us about the kingdom of God and what it may teach us about life in the kingdom of God and how we might live our life more abundantly and more kind of consistent with the kingdom and with the kingdom as, as Jesus uh, inaugurates Jesus uh, the kingdom of God here and now in our midst. So let me kind of recap where we've been over these last few weeks. The good news of the incarnation or of the coming of Jesus is that King Jesus has come, that he is reigning and that he is ruling and that his kingdom has been inaugurated for, from now until the rest of eternity. And this kingdom is a kingdom where we have persistent peace throughout all of life's ups and downs, where we can see justice, where those that have power are using their power to take care of those that don't have power, where there's joy and there's laughter and there's celebration and there's this sure hope that we have of the culmination of all things under the lordship and leadership of Jesus. And so this morning, we want to kind of wrap things up and kind of, uh, can kind of see things from a uh, kind of a one last look at this story of Jesus' birth and looking at the reign of wisdom, where wisdom is all throughout God's good kingdom, that the truth of God's kingdom is one that there's knowledge and good and righteousness and wisdom. There's a curious little story that surrounds the birth of Jesus that some years after Jesus' birth, there's magi in the east find a star or see a star or a sign in the sky and they go follow it and they find Jesus. And they, when they find him, they bow down, they worship him, they bring him all sorts of gifts. And it's this story that I want to kind of zero in or at least use a little bit this morning. The magi, or what some were called wise men, were people that had spent much of their life studying and trying to gain as much understanding and knowledge of the supernatural as they possibly could. And somehow they saw something in the sky that told them that the Messiah, the King of the Jews, was born. And so it drew them to seek after Jesus. Their knowledge or their desire for knowledge and wisdom drove them to find Jesus. And it's a fascinating story, and there's all sorts of things going on in the story, and I, and I don't have a whole lot of time to get into that part of it because I want to kind of zero in on a few other things. But I want to use that aspect around Jesus' birth, the, this notion of people seeking after truth and seeking after wisdom, and it finally drove them to find Jesus to help us understand that wisdom is one of these things that we gain when we pursue God, when we pursue Jesus. The Magi had devoted their whole lives, their livelihood, everything that they were, their time, money, energy, everything, to, to investigate and to go after knowledge and to go after wisdom. And all of that led them to Jesus, the author of wisdom the perfecter of wisdom, the one who was the most wise, brilliant being to ever exist. All of our knowledge, all of our wisdom, all of our seeking to go after that would ultimately drive us to Jesus, to find and to see Jesus. And what we do when we find and see Jesus is what these wise guys did some years ago, is they come and they fall at their feet at his feet, and they worship because they have found the one who is reigning king, the source of all wisdom, 
So I'd like to help us to understand how we might grow in our wisdom. How we might grow in godly wisdom and not worldly wisdom. So as we do that this morning, let's pray and then we'll get going. Jesus, we come before you and we ask humbly that you would teach us. We ask that you would lower our defenses to hear from you this morning. And as we open up the scriptures, as we seek to understand, may you grace us with your presence and with your wisdom. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, this morning, before I get into what I want to talk about, i got a few questions I want to ask. And I want you actually to respond to me. I actually want a little bit of interaction this morning. And so partly because I figured that this is a good way to kind of end things and wrap this series up. But also because I thought it would be good to hear a little bit of your opinions and kind of where you may be going. So first question right off the bat is, what makes somebody wise? What do you think makes a person wise? Knowledge, applied knowledge, okay, and experience, is that what we said? Okay. What makes someone wise? Discernment. Discernment. What? Keeping your mouth shut. Yeah. Being smart, yeah. Listening. Knowledge does. The fear of the Lord, yeah, yeah. What would be the opposite of wise? Ignorance, foolishness, yeah, stupid. Listen, Mark, if you say that in our house, you have to pay a dollar. You can't call people stupid. All right, good. Get your money out, get your money out, you'll be fine. Yeah. Belligerence. Yeah. Okay, not learning from your own experience or others' experiences. Yeah. Professing yourself to be wise. Yeah. Yeah. What would be a benefit of gaining wisdom? What's a benefit? Yeah, yeah, not repeating mistakes that you may have had before. Yeah, opportunities to kind of share that and kind of give that experience to someone else. Prudence. Prudence. Yeah, you can give wise counsel at that point. Yeah, staying out of trouble. Which would be a good thing, right, Cheryl? Yeah, yeah. Staying out of trouble. Yeah, yeah. With wisdom comes skill to be able to live life well. Less heartache. Why is wisdom difficult to attain? Because we're stubborn. Yeah. Because it's humbling? Because we're impatient? Yeah? Because we're prideful? Sure. 
is difficult to measure. It's costly. Huh, sometimes it comes through adversity and we don't necessarily like adversity. It's not all my top things to do. New Year's resolution, have some adversity. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. These are all really great points, and I'm, we're going di- to dip into some of these and some other ones. But the first thing I want us to know when we talk about wisdom, first thing I want us to kind of wrap our mind around, because this kind of foundational kind of ripples into some other things as we talk about wisdom and how we can live our lives more, wi- more wise than not wise. The first thing is that we need to learn, learn or wisdom teaches us to know what we don't know. Wisdom teaches us to know what we don't know. And it leads to humility. Because there's a vast amount of knowledge that I really do not know. That I really don't know. And humility, that kind of humility that recognizes that I don't have all the answers to the world's problems, that I actually sit in that and that I'm okay with that, that kind of humility is the foundation, the bedrock of all spiritual formation. Any kind of growth in Christ-likeness that you may want to do this year or next year or next week or next hour is foundationally conditional on your ability to recognize that you don't know what you don't know. And it comes in humbly recognizing that I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. And I have a desire to grow. When we are apprentices to Jesus, we recognize that we are his students, that we are not the master, that we haven't gotten there yet, that we don't have all of the wisdom and all of the knowledge and all of the experience, and that Jesus has all of it in perfect form, that he is the master and that we are his apprentices. Truly wise people recognize that their, their knowledge is limited, is limited. What we know, in other words, what we, sorry, what we don't know far outnumbers what we actually know. And wise people get that, and they get it at the core of who they are. The Magi, it's kind of surrounding around Jesus' birth, they were lifelong learners, They had amassed tons and tons of knowledge and trivia and everything else that you can imagine and way more than the average person walking around the streets had knowledge of. They had way more than the average person did. But they were lifelong learners. They recognized that they still had so much to learn. And when they saw the star and the sign in the skies, they came humbly looking for the one that would be born king and who would lead them. They had wisdom. Not because they had tons of knowledge, because their knowledge reminded them of how much more they still needed to learn. And it was humbling. Biblical wisdom is the ability to use our knowledge, to use our abilities in a way, to to think and to act in a way that is right, that is beneficial, that is holy, that is loving, that is kind, that is generous, and that does it in increasing measures. In other words, biblical wisdom is the kind of life where we live our life the way Jesus would live our life if he were us. Or we need to grow in this kind of wisdom because it's not a natural thing that we do. 
It's not something that just pops into our life when we give our life to Jesus and we decide to align our life under his teaching and to say that he's going to be our leader, our Lord, our master, and we'll be his apprentices. Wisdom isn't just something that just comes on us like this. It's something we grow in, something we grow in. And I want to invite each one of us, wherever you are in your spiritual journey, whether it's first starting out right now or you've been pursuing God for some years now, to grow in wisdom to grow in wisdom and to grow in the right kind of wisdom. To grow in the right kind of wisdom. The book of James in the New Testament is is just wrought with aspects of wisdom all throughout the book of James. And so we're going to look at James chapter 3, verses 13 through through 18 this morning. It's kind of where I'm going to zero in and just kind of camp out for a little bit this morning and just kind of understand how James can teach us about pursuing the right kind of wisdom. Not just knowledge but the right kind of wisdom and he writes this he says who is wise and understanding among you let them show it by their good life by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts do not boast about it or deny the truth such wisdom he says does not come down from heaven but is earthly unspiritual demonic For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and, and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. I'm going to zero in on this kind of passage here. And James identifies two different kinds of wisdom with two very distinct different outcomes. Two completely different kinds of wisdom and with completely polar opposite kinds of outcomes. On the one side, he says, this one kind of wisdom is earthly, is unspiritual, and even demonic. And on the other side, he has this kind of wisdom that comes from heaven. This kind of godly wisdom. And each one of us operate out of one of these types of wisdom. And oftentimes we go back and forth between them. And as I was reading James and as I was studying for this sermon, I came across a commentary that I think is helpful of understanding not only this passage, but also understanding wisdom. And the author says that when James is writing this, we need to ask three questions of each kinds of wisdom, the false wisdom on one side and the godly wisdom on the other. And when we ask these three questions, it can help us to understand which kind of wisdom are we pursuing? Which kind of wisdom are we living out of? And how might we pursue godly wisdom more often. And so my prayer for us is as we kind of ask these three questions about each one of these kinds of wisdom that we would be able to understand and see and be able to grow in godly wisdom. So these three questions, the first is what are the characteristics of the wisdom? What are the characteristics of it? Secondly, where does the, that wisdom come from? And then the third question is what is the fruit or the outcome of having that kind of wisdom? What happens as an impact of having that kind of wisdom? So let's ask those three questions about the first wisdom, the false wisdom over here. What's the characteristic of false wisdom? Wisdom that's earthly, unspiritual, or 
or even demonic? Well, James answers that. He says that it's when we harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in our heart. We're coming out of this false wisdom. False wisdom, in other words, in other words is characterized by someone who's ultimately interested in themselves rather than anyone else. We might say that that person is self-centered or self-promoting. False wisdom, wisdom of, of this culture, of, of this world, is driven by our ego, driven by our need for success, the desire to have more and to show more than anyone else, to have more knowledge and to show forth all of our knowledge so that everyone would see how much knowledge we have before everyone else. The main concern in this kind of false wisdom is demonstrating how better we are and how much more we have than anyone else. You can kind of catch a glimpse of this kind of wisdom if you pay attention and you hear when someone is speaking with such certainty that they make it seem as though anyone who might disagree with them whatsoever is second-class citizen. Like how could any reasonable person even think about disagreeing with me? Sadly, this is what dominates much of talk radio in our world or social media rants on every side of the spectrum you can think of. You have people giving these angry rants and they go off on a given topic as if anyone who would be disagreeing with them can't be thinking right. They can't be even in the right mind. You're not even a reasonable person to think anything different than I am. You get this kind of understanding. People are meant to, to feel like if you had anything, any common sense whatsoever, you have to be agreeing with me. There's this arrogant kind of certainty in the which they talk. And this is what I would say is a characteristic of self-promoting, selfish kind of knowledge, this wisdom of our culture or of this worldly wisdom that is more interested in me and showing forth how much knowledge I have than in edifying and glorifying and helping others know about God. So let me pause for just a second before we go too crazy here. Let me ask a question. Is our knowledge, is your knowledge, is your knowledge being used to promote you or to edify and glorify God? Is my knowledge being used humbly or is it arrogantly talking about things in a way which people just look great at me, see how great I am? about how much I can name drop and how many places I've been or what I've read and all these various things I've done. One of the characteristics of false wisdom is self-promotion, self-protection, and ego in the midst of it. So where does James say this kind of wisdom comes from? Well, it's not a pretty answer there. Because he says that it's... uh, earthly says it's unspiritual and he even says that kind of now that kind of wisdom is demonic that it emphasizes me it pulls the attention away from god in heaven and it draws it right on me to show how much knowledge i have and how great i am and so everyone can see what a great success i am and it pulls the attention away from god and zeroes in on me and james says that kind of wisdom when i'm operating in that kind of wisdom it is not of god it actually is demonic well, that's not a very pretty thing to say. You don't wrap that up in a nice little package, put it somewhere. It doesn't come from God, in other words. It's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. And the third question that 
we can ask about this is then what's the outcome of having that kind of wisdom, of operating in that kind of a world and that kind of a culture, that kind of idea? What kind of impact does that have on an individual's life, on the life of a family? And what kind of impact does that kind of have on society as a whole? Well, James answers this question for us again. In James chapter 3, verse 16, he says, where you have envy and selfish ambition, where you're, in other words, operating out of this kind of worldly, unspiritual kind of wisdom, when you have that, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. Where there's envy and jealousy, families argue about what, who gets what in the family. And where there's selfish ambition, where people are concerned about their success over someone else's, people use and will manipulate others in order to get what they want, how they want it, when they want it, to succeed, to somehow make it. And with this kind of self-promoting wisdom, we find a world full of broken people, broken relationships, kids hurt in the middle of brokenness, all sorts of disorder, pain, and chaos. Because when we operate out of this unspiritual, earthly, demonic kind of wisdom, this world's understanding of wisdom, self-promoting and arrogant, it leaves a long train of hurt along the way. And James contrasts that wisdom with godly wisdom, true wisdom, pure wisdom, holy wisdom. In order for us to understand that kind of wisdom, let's ask the same three questions. What are the characteristics of that wisdom? What kind of characteristics or what kind of things characterize this true wisdom? James says the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. Then it's peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit. You know what's missing in that? Me. Because that kind of wisdom is not about me. It's not about me. Unlike false wisdom, true wisdom is not focused on me or about myself or about my stuff. It's focused on God. True wisdom is not interested in me just simply winning an argument. True wisdom is when we seek out with the righteousness and the goodness and the holiness of God and to seek God glorified, not me glorified. Wisdom recognizes that we don't know everything. When we recognize we don't know everything, we recognize that we are not the king sitting on the throne, that Jesus is. And if we don't know everything, then wisdom teaches us, as some of you already said, that we should listen more and talk less. Earlier in his letter, James says this way, each of you should be quick to listen. And slow to speak. And slow to get angry. Because your anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. It seems that when we are quick to speak, and while we are slow to listen, we are quicker to get angry. Quicker to get angry. It is a good idea for us to be at least a little bit unimpressed with our own opinions about things. We need to learn to listen to another perspective that it might just be 
that I don't have it all particularly worked out, that I just might need to learn something. I may need to recapture this wonderful gift of curiosity, to not think I have everything certainty and wrapped up in a fine little package with a nice little bow on top of it where I can answer everybody's question, but to recognize that I don't know, and that'd be okay. I don't have monopoly on knowledge, and neither do you. And we need to learn this wonderful gift of curiosity if we are to grow in wisdom. The Magi had this tons of knowledge, and yet they remained humble and curious and lifelong learners. And that kind of curiosity, that kind of humility, that kind of devotion to learning drew them to see Jesus, to understand him, to understand who he is. There's this common thread. We already said this earlier, but it's worth noting again. There's this common thread of humility with regards to our spiritual maturity and our wisdom. It seems the more mature we get in our spiritual life, the more humble we are. Likewise, the more wise we are in our life with God, the more humble we are. Because wisdom doesn't need to make sure that everything is done in our favor. Instead, it is focused on making sure that everything is done right and righteously. Even if that means that we admit when we didn't get it right. And we admit when we were wrong. And we're quick to do so. Wise people are people who admit their mistakes. And not in general terms. Like, ah, I think I made a mistake once or twice. But specifically, and they recognize their mistakes. So let me ask you a question. When was the last time that you admitted specifically and courageously and boldly admitted where you were wrong? Where you didn't hold on to the, this illusion that you've got everything right and that you never make a mistake and that you will always get every answer right. You don't hold on to that illusion. But when was the last time that you boldly, courageously, and specifically admitted your wrongness? Your wrongness. Wise people understand what they do not know. And it's okay. It's okay leads them to be curious and to pursue Jesus. Second question that we look at when we look at these wisdom is where does this kind of wisdom come from? Where does this true wisdom come from? And James answers that very clearly. He says true wisdom, this kind of righteous wisdom comes from heaven or comes from God. Which leads to the third and the last question is what is the outcome of living a life full of true wisdom? What's the kind of ramification? What's the ripple effect on a person's life if they live a life full of God's true wisdom? Well, James tells us that peacemakers who sow in peace will reap a harvest of righteousness. That our lives will be lives known and characterized by righteous living. A holiness and goodness will be known of our whole life. People have difficulty in their relationships and in their work life and in their family life, because they have pursued the wrong kind of wisdom. They've pursued a wisdom of self-promotion and holding on to the illusion that they can do everything and they've got all the answers, rather than humble curiosity of true wisdom, where we recognize what we don't know, and we pursue knowledge, we pursue more of Jesus in our life. 
And when we live a life prioritizing God's wisdom or godly kind of wisdom, then we will live in his love and his mercy and we will be characterized by righteousness. And our lives will be more righteous lives and our lives will be more abundant and more fulfilling and more good. We need to hear this. That while the whole world may be going a certain way, when we follow the ways of God, it will always lead us to the best, most fulfilling, most abundant life both now and forevermore. And as apprentices to Jesus, we need to learn to live by faith in the kingdom of God. We need to learn to live by faith in his ways. So how do you do that? Well, in just a few minutes that I have left here, I want to suggest to you four ways that we grow in wisdom, in godly wisdom, and we take steps away from worldly wisdom and towards godly wisdom. And the very first one is simple. You and I, we need to desire wisdom. We need to value it. We need to want it. We need to desire it more than anything else. King Solomon is described in the scriptures as the most uh, wise human to ever live. Son of King David, as he takes the throne of his father, he asks God, and he doesn't ask him for fame or fortune or military success or for money or anything else. He asks for wisdom. And God says, I will give it all to you. And I'll even give you the fame and the fortune and the riches and everything else because you asked for wisdom. Because he valued wisdom. Wisdom is given to him by God. And wisdom will be given to you when we value it and desire it and want it. So the first thing is, friends, you have to want wisdom. And the second aspect of wisdom is that you and I need to learn to pray for it. We need to pray for it. James tells us if we lack wisdom, that we ought to ask God, pray to God, asking him for wisdom, and that he would give it to us generously, because he loves to give it to us. Without finding any fault, he would love to lavish us with his wisdom. True wisdom that leads to righteousness is not natural in our our everyday life. It's a supernatural gift given to us by God alone. So we need to ask him and pray, Lord, give me wisdom. I need wisdom here. And when we face a fork in the road or a decision that needs to be made, the wise person is someone who seeks God's way first. And gets on his or her knees and prays, God, give me wisdom in this discerning moment that I need to make a decision. We are so quick to run to Google or to our friends or to someone else. And we're asking for earthly or, or kind of this uh, earthbound wisdom. But as apprentices to Jesus, we value and prioritize his wisdom above everything else. And so we pray through things. We pray through our decisions. And we ask the Lord for wisdom. We ask for wisdom. Some of the most wise people I know are also the most prayerful people I know who rarely make a decision without honestly, authentically, and diligently praying. And not just one of these things like, hey, let's pray about this for a little bit, but they actually do. They actually do. Third aspect of gaining wisdom if we seek to God, have God's wisdom, is we need to seek godly counsel. We need to seek godly counsel. And here I want to say there's a difference between advice giving and godly counsel. 
Because anybody can give advice, just kind of see what you want to hear, give you what you want to hear, that sort of thing. But godly counsel is when we take into consideration God's perspective on the situation and where God may be molding and shaping and what kind of formation needs to happen in your heart to become the kind of person that would respond in a godly way. So godly counsel isn't simply uh, giving advice, but is helping someone to understand God's perspective on things helping them to walk through things and to pray with them through their decision. It's good for you and I. It really is good for us to be a little wary and a little skeptical of our own ability to discern, am I leaning into God's wisdom or am I leaning into this earthly wisdom? It's good for us to be a little skeptical of my own ability to navigate that. So I invite godly counsel into my life. So I ask, would you pray with me and would you discern with me? Am I acting out of godly wisdom or am I acting out of this worldly wisdom? And so I ask for godly counsel. And I seek godly men and godly women to speak into my life. And I give them the permission to. Friends, it is darn near impossible, really near impossible, for you to live this life without a spiritual mentor or a godly counsel in your life. Without someone to whom you have given permission to speak truth into your life. To be a godly mentor of yours. You need one. You need one. And this is a two-way street here because we're told as a body of Christ that we are to hold up one another and that we are to walk with one another, bear one another's burdens. So not only do you need to have someone who's a godly mentor in your life, but wisdom invites you to also become a godly mentor for someone else. To be a godly mentor for someone else. So let me ask you, do you have a godly mentor in your life? Do you have a godly man or a godly woman who you can call up and say, I have an issue, and you know that they are going to pray with you and seek the Lord's will with you and for you on your behalf and will speak truth into your life? Do you have a godly mentor? Are you one? Are you a godly mentor for someone? Because friends, I just know there is someone in your life who needs godly counsel and it may be you that God is going to use to be godly counsel in their life and to speak truth into them when they invite you in that you boldly and, and kind of courageous and yet humbly walk in and bring godly counsel. And don't freak out about it. Like, I don't know how to do that. Because the wise person, the wise godly counsel Praise for God's discernment in the midst of it. So would you pray with someone, for someone, and walk with them and seek God's will for them? Fourth and last kind of suggestion to gain godly wisdom, and that is that we gaze at Jesus. That we gaze at Jesus. Jesus is the, the wisdom of God. Jesus is the perfection of wisdom. And when we gaze at the life of Jesus, we don't simply see a gifted teacher or someone who lived a couple thousand years ago and said a few things on some shoreline someplace, but we see someone who, who demonstrates perfect wisdom, perfect righteousness. And wherever you are in your spiritual life, whether you're just beginning, just starting out, or whether you've been pursuing God for some time now, my invitation to you is to gaze at Jesus and grow in wisdom and take up his way of living to learn how to live your life in the way that he would live your life.
right now and to grow in the path of wisdom, true wisdom. Jesus tells us that anyone who listens to the words of his and puts them into practice is a wise person who gazes at the person of Jesus to understand who he is and begin to live accordingly is a wise person. That when the winds come and the waters rise, that person is able to stand because they are putting wisdom to action. Wisdom is about doing the things that Jesus would do in the way that Jesus would do them. We simply gaze at Jesus. Maybe these next couple of months, a good practice for you to do is just simply read through the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. First four books of the Newer Testament. And just read through them and look at Jesus and how he interacted and how he spoke and what, who he went to and what he did. And just gaze at him to learn from him. Well, my prayer for you and my prayer for me is that we would be people who are keenly aware of our limited knowledge. That we would not be so quick to speak, but we would be quick to listen. And that we would humbly seek to be lifelong learners. And that we may find wisdom as we emulate Jesus' life, as we seek to find him. And as a result, may we live and may we reap a harvest of righteousness in our life. Learning to live in godly wisdom and not in worldly false wisdom. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for the gift of one another and the gift that is in your grace and in your son Jesus. Father, I pray that you would help us to take steps towards wisdom, to humbly recognize that we don't know what we don't know. And may we be people who proclaim and demonstrate an alternative way, an alternative wisdom, and may it produce righteousness in our life, right living for your name's sake. It's in your name we pray. Amen.